Today is April 3rd, 2016. The title of today's message is Dead Man Walking. Dead Man Walking. I don't know if you guys have ever gone through anything that's uh, been weighty in your life. It's been heavy on you. I, I, I know this probably doesn't happen to many people, right? There's, there's no heaviness of, uh, of, a, of a loved one who's, who's maybe sick. There's no heaviness of any of our children that aren't serving the Lord well. There, there's no heaviness of, of, the, uh, um, of what God is calling us to do, the weightiness that's there. But I've been thinking about the weightiness of the call of God on our life. That's been my thoughts this week. And as you can imagine, it's probably because I've been feeling fairly weighty. (laughs) I'm like, Lord, I love this. This is good for me. Thank you, Lord, for the struggles in my life. Because you know what? It allows me an opportunity to show you that I love you. I can say that I love you, but how is it when the difficulties come? How is it when it actually counts? Those aren't, we don't show God we love Him in spite of those times. We actually show God in those times. We don't do it in spite of the difficulties that we're in. We show God our actual heart because of the difficulties that we're in. Because of what you're going through, you have an opportunity to show the Lord if you actually love Him, if you're actually concerned about His glory or your own. In Exodus chapter 24, let's start in verse 9. Say there when you're there. there. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and, everybody say and, the 70 elders of Israel. It's an interesting number, 70. If you've been here at this church very long, you know that there is some significant uh, understanding that we have of that number 70. It's representing the entire world, Right? But in this case, it's the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. What? They saw the God of Israel. Under his feet, listen to this, was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. Wow. How do you describe something that's indescribable, right? How do you express in a few words what you are seeing when it is divine? Apparently it's like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise His hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. That's an interesting statement because if you think back, what is, what is the fear throughout the Old Testament? If you see God, what happens? You die. You, there is no one who has seen Him. We've seen His representation. But here they say they saw Him. They were worried that it was going to cause their death. And it does. But God did not raise His hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. Verse 12, The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here. Everybody say, stay here. The phrase really there in the Hebrew, they're they're trying to help us out, right? They, They look at it and the phrase in the Hebrew says something more akin to, God called Moses up on the mountain to be on the mountain. You're like, well, that's a little bit redundant. You, you kind of got, you didn't mean to say it that way. No, that's exactly what the Bible meant to say. Here we say God called him up on the mountain to stay here on the mountain. Let me encourage you, uh, let, me, let me put it in practical terms. Have you ever been somewhere but not been there? <laughs> Have you ever been doing one thing and thinking about something else? The Lord has to remind us hey, come up on this mountain and be on the mountain. Come into God's presence. You know what I need you to do? I need you to be in God's presence. When we come to church this morning, you are here physically. I'm going to ask that you be here for the next little while. Because we can miss the very thing that God is trying to do in our life because then we get worried about whatever else. We can all fill in the blanks. If you're like me... um, my brain is always going to try to put things in order. Okay, what's next? Okay, what's next? Okay, what's next? So when I get somewhere, I'm usually thinking about the next 14 things that are supposed to be happening to make whatever else next thing that I'm supposed to be doing take place. 
I'm trying to be efficient with my time. So I'm here, but I'm thinking about there. We know what happens when I get there? I'm still thinking about there. And then when I get there, I'm thinking about some other there. So I have a habit. Wade Sutherland has a habit of not being here when he's here. It's a weakness I have. It's actually terrible. So I encourage you not to follow in my weakness today. We're going to call it, I, I believe, as good as our worship time was. Part of the reason I love this church. I, I love the fact that our two men, they're going to India. Both gave direct words of prophecy this morning to the body. That lets me know that India is about to, to have an encounter with a living Savior through these two and, and the men of the team. I love the fact that as we're here at the altar, people are giving words of prophecy to each other, words of knowledge. Prayer is happening. God is moving on your heart. But let me encourage you, that was there, and this is here. I am confident that God has a word for us here today. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be here. And I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commands I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua his aide. And Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. What a great leader, right? I'm going to be gone, but here's the number to the babysitter, or <laughs> here's the number to us. This is who you can reach out in case there's an emergency, right? Love it. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it. Everybody say the cloud. cloud. And the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. You know what the word there for glory is? It's kavod. Everybody say kavod. Kavod. I've often said it kavod. I may say it kavod today, but I tried because this is the word of God. I'm going to try to say it in my Texas accent just like they would say it if they're Hebrew. Uh, Kavod. The kavod is what we normally hear it as. It's God's It's the weightiness, it's this heaviness of God's presence. When God falls somewhere, um, it's fun to to feel the anointing and you get the little tinglys on your arm and the hair on the back of your neck stands up and all those things are great, but when God's glory shows up, it's, it's different. There's a weightiness that's there. Have you ever been in His presence and it felt like it drove you to your knees? Lord, I feel you. I, I don't, I'm not able to jump up and down and scream in this moment. I just have to be really, really quiet. I'm not even sure I can speak because I just feel you. Amen. Are you happy with me? I can feel your presence. Does this mean you're mad at me or you're pleased with me? Because it's got to be one or the other. And oh Lord, let it be that you're pleased with me. We're not frivolous when the glory of God falls on you. You're not thinking about what you owe. You're not thinking about where you have to go. You're not thinking about what you have to do. You're not thinking about who harmed you. You're thinking and you're sitting there and going, all that we can focus on is Him. All that we can focus on in Him. And that light starts to shine and it starts to expose things that we've thought. Lord, please forgive me. I don't deserve this. Just like the elders, Lord, you could literally take my life now and I could, I could say nothing about it. I'd say, you are right. Your judgment is right and true, mighty God. I, I can't argue with you. And yet, here's, we see this picture here. The kavod, his honor, his glory, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days, the cloud, if I say the cloud, covered the mountain. So Moses is just sitting there for six days. He's feeling, he's seeing the presence of God. And on the seventh day, huh, seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. What if Moses would have been like, man, this is really cool. I see the cloud. Well, guess I'm piecing out now. I've been close to it. I've been close to the pool. The Lord calls out in day seven from within the cloud. After a completed time, God calls out to the Israelites. The glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire. What did it look like to Moses? A cloud. As a matter of fact, the word of God says that God called to him from the cloud. 
Does this remind you of the Israelites being led in the, in the, in the wilderness, in the desert? A pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day? I'm not completely sure that those were two separate things. I think that it could have been possible that it was just one thing and the day they focused on the cloud part and at night it provided what they need in the fire part. Amen. I don't think that God changes. I think He stays the same. I think our perspective on Him can get a little bit different. And from one perspective, when you're close to His glory, it feels like a cloud. But when you might be far off looking at it, you're like, man, what is going on with that little church over there with 45 families? They're on fire! Amen. And we're over here enjoying the warmth, but going, man, all I could see is the cloud. Whether you're looking at this thing and you're seeing a fire because God is igniting something in you, He's drawing you, He's causing you to go, golly, that's something that I want, but it's weird. These are weird people. <laughs> yes. Yes, we are. <laughs> it's because we're more concerned with the cloud and hopefully that you see the fire more than anything else. You know this church we meet on Sundays? We have a Monday night Bible study. We have Wednesday night church. We have Friday night Bible studies. We have, and that's, that's four official meetings. Plus. <laughs> if you want to get in fellowship in this church, let me encourage you. There is no reason that almost any day of the week, I would say every day of the week, but some of us got to sleep at some point. Maybe not the Stevens, but the Sutherlands have to sleep at some point. <laughs> Any day of the week. You know how you do it here? You see where the fire is, you see where the cloud is, and you go towards it. Amen. You are always invited. You're always invited to the Stevens home. You're always invited to the Peru home. You're always invited to the Sutherland homes. You are always invited to our elders' homes. Get permission first. <laughs> For the elders. <laughs> Amen. We love you. Don't ever let the enemy say, well, they just never invited. You are always welcome. There is never a time when you're not welcome. Because we want you guys to see, where, if you're close enough, we want it to feel like a cloud of his presence. If you're not quite close enough yet, we want it to look like a fire to you. Then Moses entered the cloud. Come on now, let's enter that cloud. As he went up on the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Pretty, incre pretty incredible. Let, let's take a look up before we leave this passage. This is what happens when you get close enough to a cloud. When you get close enough to the fire. Let's look at same chapter, chapter 24 of Exodus in verse 7. Everybody say 24-7. 24-7. 24 7. 24 7, just like our common phrases. Man, we work 24-7. 365. Well, here's to your 24-7. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. You know how we as pastors know if you're in the cloud? Because your life starts saying, We will do everything that God has said to us. There's not anything that we want to leave out. We want to be dead men walking. We want to choose this and count our lives as already dead to Him. We're dead to sin. We're going to go forward. All we want to do is obey you, Lord. Will that cost us our life? We count it a privilege. Will that cause us difficulties? We, we, we offer that to you as our gift, Lord. Every difficult day that we have, every difficult conversation we have, Lord, we want to offer it to you because you're worth it. You're worth all that we have and more. You will accept this from us when we do it. All we want to do is worship you. All we want to do is obey you, Lord, because that shows that we actually love you. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel, chapter 6. Let's start in verse 14. Say there when you're there. Yeah. Amen. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might. <laughs> Let me encourage you. As a church... You guys, we do, you guys do so many things well. Can I encourage you? Let's continue to have this spirit of David upon us when we're worshiping the Lord. Some of us are still worried about what other people think, what other people see. Let me encourage you to be unfettered in your worship. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all of his might. 
Everybody say, all his might. While he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. If you have a habit of watching what God is doing from a window, you will be in the habit of despising the people who are accomplishing His will in your heart. She wasn't out there dancing with Him, was she? She didn't get to feel. She knew that the ark was coming back. She could see it, but she decided to stay and look through a window. Are you a voyeur in the house of the Lord? Back in the day, we called them peeping toms. Now we don't have to go and crawl up by your window. We just get on the internet and we can become peeping toms that way. Microsoft Windows, there it is. (laughs) The windows to other people's lives, right? She is looking and despising the one whom God is very, very pleased with. Verse 17, they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place. There is an appropriate place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd. (laughs) How's that for your baking time, right? He didn't go to the store and buy a loaf of bread, a cake of dates. and He had to have it made and gave When you're really in the presence of God, you know what your heart becomes? Lord, what can I give? Lord, Lord, who can I bless? Lord, would would you give me the grace so that I can give a gift that will go around the world? Would would you let me have the nations as my inheritance, mighty God? Both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. Amen. Verse 20, when David returned to his home to bless his household, he did not forget the people who lived with him. He went to his home to bless his household. Church, don't forget the people that live in your household. Out of our 45 households, let's make sure that the blessing that we have is reaching even there. Amen? Amen. Actually, I think it should start there. Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, "Uh uh-oh, you know why she said something? Because it was already in her heart. Out of the abundance of our heart, our mouths speak. I didn't really mean that. Yes, you did. I was just joking. No, you weren't. You're actually just a coward because you said it and then you don't want to take responsibility for saying it. So, well, I I was just kidding. Okay. She came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Even in the words that are written, I, I, I can only imagine what it sounded like in person. Can you hear the sarcasm dripping from these words? (laughs) how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls, of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. If you remember, just recently, uh, I kind of shared with you a small revelation that the Lord gave me that when when we're operating in fear, when we're operating in, in disgust of the things of the Lord, the things that we think sound right to us, because those sins, that sinful way, convinces us that the fear that we have, well, it's only logical that if I stub my toe, three days from now I'll have to cut my toe off. That's not logical at all. That's, well, if I say something and I'm actually clear on the message of the gospel, what will happen is they'll, they'll won't want to listen and they'll turn away from me as a friend and then they'll turn away from God. So I'm just, I'm just going to live it in front of them. That's ridiculous. Because what happens here? She says that it's about all these other... You've, you've defamed yourself, oh great king, in front of all these slave girls. The issue in her heart was that she despised what he did. Look at the next verse. 21, David said to Michael, it was before the Lord. By the way, that word before there is the same word that's used for the face of God. It was in the presence of God's very face who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. 
I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I'll be held in honor. You know what the power of God in our life does? The very thing that we're afraid of, if we conquer it because of the power of God, you know what happens? It's the opposite. When you're bold, you know what happens? People get saved. When you say what you're supposed to say, you know what? People get delivered from their life of sin. You know what happens when you're bold and you say what you're supposed to? People get filled with the Spirit. You know what happens when you're bold? What happens is God happens. You know what doesn't happen? Any of the fears that you've been worried about? She was worried. The fear that was said was, oh, you've disgraced yourself. Actually, I haven't. I've made myself more honorable to them because they're going to see the work of God in me. An unfettered, an unhindered worship of the Lord, that doesn't disgrace me. It may embarrass my flesh. Oh, that's right, but I'm a dead man walking, so it doesn't matter. Oh, okay. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 2. We have to be willing to exchange our glory for His glory. You can't have it both ways. You cannot have it both ways where you keep your glory and promote His. Jeremiah chapter 2. And verse 11. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. I love how the Bible inserts those little extra phrases. Has a nation ever changed its gods? I mean, we all know that they're not gods. But my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. You know what David did? David said, I'm going to exchange any dignity that I have for God's glory. I'm going to exchange what I want to hold on to, even as a king, to glorify and honor the king of kings. Here it's saying, has a nation ever changed its God? But my people have exchanged their glory. And actually the little footnote, probably that's in your Bible, have exchanged their glory. It actually says an an equally valid translation is they have exchanged my glory for worthless idols. Turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. It is possible for us as human beings to exchange the glory. We can exchange God's glory. Um, turn to Isaiah chapter 61. So how are we going to do this exchange? What does this exchange look like? Isaiah 61, let's start in verse 1. Are you guys with me? Okay, just checking. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. To preach good news to the poor. By the way, here's, here's a good uh, mission statement for your life. Right? Not against mission statements. Amen for mission statements. And I choose to try to make it the scripture. <laughs> the ultimate mission here. This is the exact same passage that Jesus is quoting in Luke 4. To preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim freedom for the captives. And release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Huh, both the favor and the vengeance. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. This is the kind of thing that when we exchange our glory for His glory, this is what He exchanges. <laughs> for, for your ashes, you know what I'm going to give you? I'm going to give you a crown of beauty. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called what? Oaks of righteousness. Don't you just feel firm just saying oaks of righteousness? The Bible says that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. 
When you're trying to hold on to God's glory and hold on to your glory, what it makes you is double-minded and unstable in everything. You think you're stable because you've got your hands on two things. God's saying you can't do it that way. You can't keep both. You can't try to only keep yours. I have to exchange mine for whatever He gives me, for whatever my my lot in life is. Are we satisfied with what God's doing in our life? Are we pleased? That he, I, am, I could not be more pleased that God has called me to be a pastor at this church. Amen. I've, amongst many in here, there are many in here who've sold houses to be a part of this church, who've given up jobs. It's almost the bare requirement around here. <laughs> it's almost nothing special, except it's incredibly special. This is worth it that I exchange whatever I wanted, whatever glory I was seeking in my own, and say, God, if I never do anything but speak to 45 families, I count that my life's greatest work. May I die doing this, mighty God, as long as you're happy with me. May I do it well. Lord, would you help me to be what these people need? Lord, would you help me to have the right words for these people? You know why? Because you are worth it. You, the 45-ish families that we have here. You're worth every bit of effort. You know why? Because my king has designed you and me to be together. I'm honored. I couldn't say that had I not actually exchanged my own call, my own thoughts, my own desires, because I'd be wanting something else. Well, Lord, if 45 families is good, well, 50 would be better, wouldn't it? Only if he gives it to us. Well, I mean, if 50 is better, then 75 would be even better than that, wouldn't it? Lord, only if you give it to us. I don't think that I have to do anything other than what he tells me to do. Yes, Lord, I hear you. We will obey. I will obey. That's all that I have to do because I've exchanged what I think for what he's doing in my life. Turn to Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40. Let's start in verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory, the kavod of of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. (laughs) What a great picture, right? Whenever the Lord's Spirit starts to move, we move. The end. No questions asked. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. Well, amen. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel during all of their travels. Everybody say all their travels. Do you know that you can have God's presence in all of your travels? in every area of your life, in everything that you put your hand to. Do not let the world tell you that that's only for select things in your life or only for the select few. We've been hammering that for a few weeks now. Every person in this room, every one of us, regardless of age, every one of us can have the presence of God in all of our travels. That's my heart. As a pastor, I don't want not one of us to be missing out. When I see... uh, those here in this room and we're sick or we're lame in a certain area, you know what it does? It breaks my heart. I celebrate the 99, but I want to go after the one. Yes. It bothers me. It bothers me when you're not doing well. It, it bothers me. It troubles me because it troubles him and he's in me. And that's where the cloud moves in my life. Amen? That God can speak to us. We're going to go through several scriptures here. So we're going to do them kind of quickly. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 9, over just a few pages from where we are. We're going to talk about how the glory of God filled the tabernacle. The word there for those of you who would study this is number 4390 in the Hebrew. The word is melee. That sounds like a fight, I guess, the way I say it. I'm not sure if it's male. Let's go male. 
melee, I think, of starting to throw some fists. This is the same, this is the same word in, in the, that God was instructing to Adam to say, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It's the male. It is to replenish, to restore, not just fill as if it were empty. Now it's full, but it is a constant state. There is this Im- incredible replenishing that goes on. Leviticus chapter 9, verse 23 says this, Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people. (laughs) Anytime you go into God's presence, you're going to want to bless somebody when you get done. I used to take groups of kids to like uh, youth camps and you'd have some powerful move of God and what every kid in the youth group, they're all crying, they're all hugging on each other. (laughs) We just love you, Pastor Wade. Well, it's because you've been in the presence of God. It's this natural soft-heartedness that comes from being in God's presence. They blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell down. Man, shouted for joy and fell down. God, you're awesome! Yes, that's what happens to us, right? You're so great! Amen. God appeared here in the tabernacle. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 8. This is so good. If you haven't read 1 Kings in a while, you need to. 1 Kings chapter 8, starting in verse 10. So we see the Spirit of God filling His his tabernacle with Moses. Now we look at Solomon, verse 10. 1 Kings 8, 10. When the priest withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled, male, it filled, it replenished, it restored, it filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud. When God starts doing things, you can't keep going with what you're doing. If God's really at work in your life, the things that you're trying to do, you just have to stop and go, huh, surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. Man, maybe I should try to quit forcing things to happen and I should figure out what God is doing. This is at the dedication of the temple. The priests could not perform the service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled His temple. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6. So we see it in the tabernacle. We see it in the temple dedication. Isaiah 6. Starting in verse 1. Isaiah 6, 1 says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two wings they were flying. And they were calling to one another. If you don't like repetition, you're really not going to like some of the things that go on in heaven. We don't do enough new songs. Well, you really are not going to like heaven. <laughs> holy, holy, holy. That's what you're going to hear all the time. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Isaiah is seeing a picture into the heavenly realm. It is the calling of Isaiah. He is in the presence of God. And you know what he says? He says that the whole earth is full of His glory. There's a glory that inhabits this entire realm. Turn to Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 14. We're going to check you out in your minor prophets. See if you can sword drill your way to some of these, right? Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 14. Verse 14 says this, I still hear pages, so I'm, I'm stalling to get the pages there, right? Because this is your word. We need to learn how to use it. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You know what happens? Whether you're looking at it from Isaiah's perspective, and he says the whole earth is filled with God's glory. Or if you're looking at it from Habakkuk in about 460. So we start off with Solomon around 1000 B.C., we go to Isaiah around 750 B.C. We go to Habakkuk around 460 B.C. 
You know what they're all saying? This whole shindig that we're looking at is full of the glory of God and it will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. As it says here, the earth will be filled with the knowledge. It's here. It has been filled. God is moving. He's at work. And one day, every creature will know about this glory. We're just choosing to know about it now. Amen. We're choosing to follow its pattern now. We're choosing to give our life to it now. As the waters cover the sea. Turn to Haggai chapter 2. Uh-oh. Here it is. Testing you. Just keep going to the right. Just keep going. Towards the New Testament. Go slow. <laughs> Haggai chapter 2. Verse... Um, let's go to verse 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says, In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations. Everybody say all nations. All nations. Huh. And the desired of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with my glory, Amen. says the Lord Almighty. Whether you're talking about a tabernacle or a temple, well, we're New Testament believers. That's all right. He'll fill this house too. He is going to fill, the desire is, is that He will fill every square inch of this entire creation. He's going to fill it, and He's going to use us to do it if we'll allow Him. Turn to uh, Zechariah. A few more pages, keep going. I'll try to put them in order for you, keep going. Zechariah chapter 2. Amen. Amen. Let's look at verse 5. says this, and I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord. Woo, wall of fire. Come on now. And I will be its glory within. God says that He will lead us and He'll be with us. He'll be a wall of fire around us and He'll be in us. Man, this, this is some powerful things. Take a look at Acts chapter 2. If He's going to be fire, if He's going to have His glory somewhere, Let's remind ourselves, well, you crazy tongue-talking church here. Amen. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. <laughs> when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. There it is again. Where they were, um, where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them. Everybody say all of them. All of them. Yeah, I like those kind of words. Those kind of phrases. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. If you're not filled with the Spirit and you're here in this place, it is God's desire for you that He fills you with His Spirit. Amen. People get all freaked out about the speaking in tongues. How, how about you think about it like the fire of God that gets to come rest inside of you? It's this cloud that you get to get connected with and move with when it moves. Incredible. We hope that you get filled and baptized in the Spirit daily. So many theological points are separated on can you get baptized or not? Like it's a one-time thing. There are the camp that says, no, you can't. And there's the camp that says, yes, you can. I'm making my own camp. And saying, yes, you can, and you should do it all the time. All the time. It's not just a one-time thing. We're going to continually be being filled with the Spirit. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 19. says this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, Honor God with your body. You don't belong to you. If you're a believer, huh? it's almost like you're a dead man walking or something. You don't belong to you. You don't get to make your own choices for your own life. That sounds so strange. sounds so foreign. And yet I'm saying that there's a cloud by day and a fire by night that can lead you. And so you no longer get to say when you go and when you won't and what you'll do and what you won't. God of all creation then determines that because He's the King. How dare we think that we can come in to a King 
and do what we like. But brother, we're just full of grace. Well, amen. That's the grace that you think. What you just use that as is not what that word means. He gives you grace to accomplish what he's telling you to do. Not to do anything that you want to do and say, hey, you're going to give me the stamp of approval on what I'm already doing? No. Would we ever think to walk into a king's palace and say, hey, you know what I'm going to do? <laughs> Look, let me, let me tell you something. I'm going to do it this way. Out. Any, any place that you can think of where you would walk before a king, isn't it always with the most respect that you can? Amen. And if you don't, then you're held accountable for your, for your disrespect. Hey, you're not your own. We are bought at a price. We've got to exchange what we want for what he wants to get his glory. We've got to be filled with his very presence because if he doesn't fill us, then when he's talking about, he speaks to the creatures in the ocean and says, fill the ocean. He talks, he talks to mankind and says, fill the earth. It's not worth being filled unless his presence is in us anyway. <laughs> you can go to Elijah. What does he say? Fill these trenches with water. He's combating the, the prophets of Baal, right? Hey, fill this. Fill it, fill it. Turn to Psalm chapter 24. You may not be liking today, but I like it. I'm just saying. I'm blessing myself, so I hope you're getting something too. (laughs) Psalm chapter 24, starting in verse 1, says this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Yeah, it is. It all belongs to Him. The world and all who live in it. Lest you think it's only the stuff. He's saying also all the people. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Look in verse 7. Lift up your head, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may... Come on now. That we can lift up our heads... O you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors. It's talking about realms of authority. You would, if you were prestigious, you would sit at the city gates, right? When you're talking about Proverbs 31 and this honorable wife, what does it say? That her husband is renowned at the city gates. It's where the decisions were made. Lift up your heads. The authority that you have in your life, what you've been given, you lift that up to Him. Be lifted up, you ancient doors. Those things that we keep closed off to other people. We keep closed off to the Lord. We keep things in secret. He's saying, you open it all up. I don't have any hidden places in my life. And if I do, then God will surely open them up. I'm saying, Lord, I'd rather you open them up. So this doesn't have to be like you coming in and kicking down the door kind of thing. Here's the key. If I don't know what's there, you show me. You open it up. I don't want to be blind to it. You open up all these things. Be lifted up. Lift up your head, O you gates. Lift up ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. (laughs) The king of glory coming in, actually, I'm not going to spend time on it now, but it actually hints to the Paleo-Hebrew letters of Kavod. It's it's reminding us, when you spell out the letters in Hebrew and you see that it's talking about this idea, you open up so that the king of glory may come in. That is part of the definition of his glory. You open up and He comes in. We choose to let Him in. Verse 8, who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. That's who you're letting in, is somebody who's got a whole lot more power than you. Amen. You're letting the one who knows how to do this be in control. Lift up your head, O you gates. Let, lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is He, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. I would have loved to hear David sing this song. The repetition here, when you're reading it, you're going, you've already said that, man. <laughs> yes, and we need to hear it again. First Samuel chapter 6. I am heading towards a conclusion here. First Samuel chapter 6. I know some of you guys get up super early and you go to prison every Sunday morning. You know, many of us do have a lot of different things. I'm going to invite you for the last few minutes. I'm going to remind you of something we said earlier. Come up on the mountain and be on the mountain. Amen? 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. When the ark of the Lord had been in the Philistine territory seven months, how long? 
amazing how that number seven keeps coming up. The feasts of Israel, the seven feasts of Israel were completed in seven months. Hmm. Maybe there's an appointed time to figure out what God is doing in your life, right? When the ark of the Lord had been in the Philistine territory seven months, the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, now they're priests, by the way, right? These aren't godly priests. These are their people called for the priests and the diviners and said, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it back to its place. They answered, if you return the ark of God of Israel, do not send it away empty, but by all means send a guilt offering to him. Wow, interesting, right? Then you will be healed and you will know why his hand has not been lifted from you. Um, This goes back to what I just referenced a few minutes ago. How dare we think we can walk into the presence of a king and demand our own way in any type of fashion? These are ungodly people. They are at enmity with the people of God. They are enemies of the enemy of the people of God. You know what they do? They decide because they're running into sickness because they stole the ark of of God's presence from the Israelites. They're, They're getting sick. Their people are having problems. And they go, you know what we ought to better not do? Is we better not send this back without some type of offering that says... um. Here you go. If ungodly people can decide and choose that they're going to do something in honor of a God that they don't actually believe in to a people that they want to kill. And they're like, "Uh, your God's uh, much more powerful than... Look, we're sorry. We still want to kill you, by the way. But here. What are you choosing to bring to the Lord today? Are you deciding that you're going to show up empty-handed? It's not even courteous to show up to someone's house. At least it used to be common. If you're going to come over to the house, you usually bring something. Amen. In our day and time, we go, oh, no, don't worry about it. Just come on over, right? We do that all the time. It is polite when you come to someone's house that you have some type of gift. <laughs> that you have a gift. Why? Because you are coming and you're receiving something from someone else. If we're talking in a discipleship manner, what are you bringing? We we want you in our lives. We want to disciple you. We want you discipling other people. What are you bringing to the table? I watched a movie last night. (gasps) Right? Terrible, right? In In the Heart of the Sea. It was a movie about the original story that led to Moby Dick. Right? Helville. I can't think of it. I'm all twisted up on his name right now. Melville. There you go. I was thinking Hellville. I was like, that's not the right word. Herman Melville. And I made that. Sorry. Hellville. Mervyn Hellville. Herman Melville. I did. I couldn't get it out. I was like, sorry. Had a little brain glitch there. He comes to a guy who was in the story, a lead character, and he literally brings all the money that his family has and he lays it on the table and says, if you'll tell me this story, I'll give you every dime that my family has. Wow. I looked at that and I went, Lord, that's what I want to do with you. I, I found a pearl at great price. I'm going to go sell everything I have and buy the field. I, I'm going to come with something to bring to you because I can't imagine me coming in and saying that I don't have anything. Well, Lord, I actually, maybe I don't have anything, so I guess all I have to offer you is me. I offer you my entire life. I I offer to you, I choose to give you every thought, every dream, every desire, every every bit of notoriety. I give it all, all, all of it to you. It's not enough but it's literally all I have. Will you take it anyway? What are you offering to the Lord? Have you offered Him your all? Because anything less than your all is not enough. He won't take it just because you're close. He won't take it because you're nice. He requires our all. Verse 4. Then the Philistines asked what guilt offering should we send to him? They replied, five gold tumors. Uh, gross. And five gold rats. Even better. According to the number of the Philistine rulers, because the same plague has struck both you and your rulers. 
make models of the tumors and of the rats that are destroying the country and pay honor to Israel's God. Perhaps he will lift his hand from you and your gods and your land. You know what? They had an understanding that sometimes we don't. I'm going to translate this for you. What the bad guys were saying was, Lord, God of Israel, you who are obviously the true God, your judgments, they're divine. Your, your judgments upon us have divine character. They are gold. They are correct. You have inflicted us with these things and they're of a divine purpose. And we acknowledge your divine purpose against us. Let's quit giving the enemy so much credit. Let's quit thinking that the, the difficulties in our life are something and from other source besides going, God, you're going to use this for divine purposes in my life. No matter how they look, no matter how dirty they may seem, Lord, I'm going to trust that you, because I've given my life, I've exchanged who I am, I'm trying to be filled with your spirit daily, I'm going to trust that you are going to turn these things into gold. They have a divine impact on my life. I will not run away from them. I'm not going to run away from the weight that's on my shoulders because you know why? It's actually going to show maybe it's part of this kavod that's supposed to be resting on me. Maybe it's supposed to be part of the thing that brings out the glory in me instead of stifles it. Instead of keeping me from it like I've attributed to it before, if only I had a better job, if only I had more money, if only I had this, if only I were better looking. That's my list, sorry. If only. Yeah, that's like you coming up on the mountain and not being on the mountain. If only I were there, then I would be happy. If only I would get married. If only I would have kids. If only the kids would get out of the house. If only I'd be a grandparent. What is the there? And then you finished your whole life and you haven't done anything. Because you've always been looking for there and you've never been here. Where the glory cloud is. I'm preaching to myself. This is good. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> Verse 6. Why do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh did when he treated them harshly and did not send the Israelites out so they can go on their way? These are the bad guys talking to each other. Now then, get a new cart ready with two cows that have calved and have never been yoked. Hitch the cows to the cart, but take their calves away and pin them up. Cows didn't have much of a choice here, did they? This is what you're going to do. You're going to separate them from their family. You're going to hook them up and give them this burden. But the burden is to take the ark of God's presence. Take the ark of the Lord and put it on the cart and put in a chest beside it the gold objects you are sending back to Him as a guilt offering. Send it on its way, but keep watching it. If it, does, if it goes up to its own territory toward Beth Shemesh, then the Lord has brought this great disaster on us. But if it does not, then we will know that it was not by His hand that struck us and that it happened to us by chance. So they did this. They took two such cows and hitched them to the cart and pinned up their calves. They placed the ark of the Lord on the cart and along with its chest containing the gold rats and the models of the tumors. Such a weird phrase, right? Then the, cow, you know, then the cows went straight up. Everybody say straight up. Toward Beth Shemesh, keeping on the road and lowing all the way. They did not turn to the right or the left. Maybe you're like this calf, these cows. You feel like you didn't have much of a choice. Feels like it's been separated from the families and you've been hooked to a burden. But you know what? You know it will speak God's message to people everywhere you go, even in the most unregenerated state, is if you go straight up in the direction that God tells you to go. Not turning to the right or to the left. You go straight towards what God has said. There's a lot of discussion. And I may even, if I ever use this, next time I use it, I may even use a different point for the lowing. But here's what I was thinking today. Lowing, you could be that, that you're, you're, you're announcing what God is doing in your life the whole way. But I thought about it this way today. Sometimes there are just groans and utterings that we can't even voice. Sometimes there are just things that are going on in our life, and we're going, Lord, I'm not quite sure, but you know what I am going to do? 
I'm going to go straight towards where you tell me to go. I'm going to choose to be declaring your words the whole way. I'm not grumbling. I'm not complaining. I'm just going to commit myself to prayer and say, Lord, I need your help. I need your spirit at work in me. Now the people of Beshemes were harvesting their wheat in the valley, and when they looked up, they saw the ark. They rejoiced at its sight. <laughs> we should rejoice when we see God's presence. The cart came to the field of Joshua of Beshemesh, and there it stopped beside a large rock. The people chopped up the wood on the cart and sacrificed the cows as a burnt offering. <laughs> All right, cow, your job is this. You got one job. You've got one thing you're supposed to do. And your job is to go straight towards where the Lord has called you. If it puts you on an altar, it puts you on an altar. If it causes your very life to be taken from you, it's okay because we were dead men walking the whole time. Their sacrifice didn't actually happen when they got to the altar. It happened when the decision was made to go straight towards what God was calling them to do. How's your walk? Are you going straight towards what God has got for you? Have you already decided if it costs you your life, if it costs you your family, if it costs you the wealth of this world? Have you already decided beforehand, I will go straight towards what you're saying, mighty God? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 as we wrap up. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Start in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always, everybody say always. Always. God, that doesn't fit with our modern culture, does it? We are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. You always have to die to what you want. You always have to die to your own agenda. You always have to exchange that for His glory because it doesn't happen by accident. You always are given over to death. It's been said, and and I'm going to play just a clip for you, I think, here in just a second. From Jackie Pullinger. In it, you'll hear her say, the gospel always brings life to the receiver, but death to the giver. It always brings life to those who are receiving it, but when you're given it, it always brings about our death. So that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. What are you ready to exchange today? What are you ready? Do you need to be more filled today? What are you going to choose to give to him today? Well, Pastor, I've done these things. Amen. That's not actually my question. My question is, what are you going to give Him today? If you gave Him your all yesterday, then amen. You know what you have to do today? You have to give your all again. He's worth all of it. Because you know what I want in this place? You know what I want for you? I want His glory to fall in your life. I want other people to see you on fire. And that doesn't come by seeking after the ways of the world. It comes from us exchanging, from us being filled, and us choosing daily. We must deny ourselves and take up our cross daily. We spend a lot of time in the Old Testament. We spend a lot of time really going through the law, the prophets, 
and the writing and ending in the New Testament to give you an overview that this is God's plan to reveal his glory, that Christ in you is the hope of glory, it says in Colossians 1, that this is our hope. I want us to listen to a, a, a quick clip. Um, I haven't got to talk to you yet about it. When it gets to, it's got a heartbeat kind of thing at the end. When it gets to the heartbeat, you can just fade it out and we'll finish up. I want you to pay attention, be here, and listen to this. The principle of the gospel is this. The gospel always brings life to the receiver and death to the giver. If the gospel brought death to Jesus Christ, why would we think that in preaching the gospel it would be any less for us? So no. He says, if anybody would be my disciple, he must take up his cross and follow me. If it killed him to give life to us, and he invites us then to do the same, why would we expect that it would be any less? So the mixture of our message is life and death, and laughter and tears, and such it is. But for us, Life is never ordinary. Life is never flat. And this is what Jesus said about his father in John 17. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life. Only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. Jesus was not sentenced to die by his father. He was allowed to choose. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. And he said, this is why my father loves me. God the Father had this extraordinary plan of winning you and me for eternity by having his son killed. But his son voluntarily responded. No, it's not so easy for him to respond. In fact, he spent his whole life practicing. And even the night before, it was still difficult for Jesus. And he said, God, is there another way? Is there another way? And I know many, many people in the church say, is there another way? And in our Hong Kong churches, it does look as if there's another way. Normal Christians live a normal Christian life, go to meetings, jump up and down on stages while we are exhausted and die. And they say, well, you've got a special ministry, Jackie. And I say, oh, no, I think, I think we're all called to give up our lives. Would you like to do this with us? We'd really like some help. The poor people all over the earth who have never heard of Jesus, they are the poorest people. They are desperate for food. They're desperate for blankets, they're desperate for medicine, they're desperate for water. The most number of people worldwide who've never heard about the love of our Lord Jesus Christ are desperately poor. And they are not going to come here to hear the gospel. We have to go there. So, why haven't people gone? Something to do with guarding a life and living a normal life so other people can go. But I say, no, why don't you all go if you've tasted such good things? Go to the ends of the earth because those poor aren't going to watch Jesus on TV. They haven't got electricity. <laughs> they, they're not going to hear about him unless we go. So would you? I'm here with a plea for you. <laughs> if you've known the love of God, if you tasted of his sweetness at all. There's no other way to serve him except giving up your life. And this is voluntary. This is not a sentence of death at all. We're not sentenced to death. We're just privileged to answer his call.
privileged to answer his call. We are not sentenced to death. We choose it. Amen. It is not forced upon us. We willingly take it upon ourselves so that we might offer to him something that is of value. The closing today is going to be this. I want you to choose to be dead people walking. There are some here today that may be far from the Lord. You've never actually started the journey with Him. Right over to my right, to your left, we're going to have a place for you to be able to come and say, you know what? I felt God during the worship. I've heard God's Word. And I want to choose to become really alive by choosing to be dead to myself. And over here, I just want to offer you a place to say, you know what? I'm here in a church. I'm by a pool. But I haven't jumped in enough. I haven't given the king of all creation my entire life. I want to see his cloud leading me. I want to feel his fire within me. Would you stand to your feet?